It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. We're going to take the next step forward in our spiritual lessons in World War II series, uh, which I'm really enjoying. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that, if you've listened to some of the other episodes, but there's something about chewing on history at the same time chewing on spiritual truths that is just like an elixir for my soul. I've really, really enjoyed this. I've already begun plotting and planning an early American history uh, version of the same process, which is another one of my passion points. And so, that, uh, whether, however that unfolds, I don't know, but uh, at least you can know it's in my head. This one's called Operation Redbeard, and uh, it is going to deal with a very specific event that is going to take place in 1941 that uh, is going to shock the nations. Uh, it is one of the most significant events that ever took place in history, but it's something that most of us are unfamiliar with. It's interesting, the American history books have a tendency to cover uh, the World War II from a certain angle, and that is the European angle and then the uh, South Pacific angle with the Japanese, because that's what we engaged in. However, there's a portion of the war that actually is going to consume more lives than any other portion, and that is called the Eastern Front. And that is going to be between Germany and uh, Soviet Russia. So you're going to have two evil powers that are going to clash. You're going to have Hitler against Stalin. You're going to have Nazism against communism. And they are going to eat each other for lunch. And it is a desperate struggle. It is a dark and evil struggle. If Just to, to study it, I, which I, I've gone through in depth, is deeply disturbing. So you could say, Eric, why did you go through that? I, it's a good question. In fact, I've gone through it multiple times. There's something about it that acquaints me with the battle that we are in. It acquaints me with the enemy's tactics so that I am sharper and aware of how he's working. I desire light to triumph. And so as a result, there's something very interesting about the Eastern Front. I'm not going to go into it in the, uh, in the way that I've studied it in the past. It's, I don't know that it would be helpful to any of us today as much as to show you one element of it. And that's uh, what I'm going to focus on. Operation Redbeard is actually not the name. Hitler is going to launch something called Operation Barbarossa. And uh, it just happens that that translates into Redbeard. So why would Hitler name one of the biggest operations that has ever existed in military history? It is an audacious uh, uh, maneuver that is attempting to pull off something that Napoleon couldn't pull off. And Hitler believes that he can do it. So what we have is a very audacious maneuver, mil- military maneuver, that is taking on the history books. And it is, it is as desirous to best the greatest warriors of all history. And so Hitler is taking on Napoleon in this operation. So he's going to name it Operation Redbeard? Why would you name it that? So here's a a lead-in to help you understand where that name comes from. Uh, If you're here, you get to see on the screen uh, a picture of Frederick I, who was the king of Germany, who also became the king of Italy when they took Italy. But uh, this guy's uh, old school, long, long time back in the, the annals of history for the Germans. But Hitler obviously had a a liking for this guy. 
but his name would have been Kaiser Ratbart, which uh, would have, you see, when you hear the name Kaiser, you think of uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, who is the, uh, the Kaiser, who is like the king of Germany during World War I, but Kaiser is from the word Caesar, which is from the word king. And so what you have is Kaiser Ratbart, which actually means like Caesar Redbeard. So this guy has a red beard. If you can see the picture, he has a big, uh, fluffy red beard. And he looks rather intimidated. I don't know that I'd want to mess with Frederick I. Or another name for this guy is King Barbarossa. And so like I said, Hitler obviously had a fascination with this guy. But the Germans all knew who this guy was. So this would have been a symbolic statement to name this operation after him. So here's a little background on uh, Frederick I, or King Barbarossa. Considered one of the Roman Empire's greatest emperors, he was deemed superhuman to his followers and foes alike. Unstoppable, resilient, and undeniable in his pursuits. Can you sort of see why Hitler might want to name this after him? You see, this superhuman luster that was over the Nazi war, uh, war camp was interesting. I mean, all of uh, the world was standing in awe of the fact that Hitler could basically do anything he wanted and it would somehow work. And it was shocking to the world. And there was no one in the world, even his own generals didn't believe he could pull off certain things. Like, there's no way you can just take the Rhineland. I mean, it, that's against the Treaty of Versailles, and he does. And they all stand in wonder. There's no way that you could just take Austria and, and the Allies would do nothing. Well, he took it and they did nothing, just as Hitler said. And there's no way you could take the Sudetenland, Hitler, and he does. And no one does anything. And everyone is standing back in awe, looking at this guy as superhuman. And so what we have is Hitler's beginning to personify this. He's wanting to showcase that he is like a Frederick I, if not greater. His lusty ambition, speaking of Frederick I, his astounding skills at organization, his military acumen, and his political astuteness set him apart from all others. So you can sort of see why Hitler would say, yeah, you know, sort of like this. There's a lot of fascinating dimensions to the Redbeard concept that I don't know that I'll get into this morning, but uh, there's, a, there's a lot to it that is very interesting. Uh, but Adolf Hitler is going to name his key operation, Operation Barbarossa, or that's, that's the German word for it, but Operation Redbeard is literally what it is going to be called, and it is June 22nd, 1941, key date in history. This is a date that is going to shift the entire outcomes of world history, because Hitler is going to do something that to him seems like easy picking. He is going to take on the grand Russian uh, Soviet army and he's going to take their, their territories. He is looking lustily at their territories, their farmland, their oil, and their timber. And he's like, hey, there's no way they can defend it. We're the greater species. If you remember Monday's episode, I was talking about their Darwinian influ influence over the German mindset and over Hitler's mindset specifically. It's survival of the fittest, and as far as he's concerned, he's the fittest. Germany's the fittest, and it's going to prove it right now. And for, for all practical purposes from the outside looking in, I can understand why Hitler thought he could take over Russia. And he was going to do it with what's called a blitzkrieg movement, which is a lightning war. He is going to come in and, and take them out, and he thought it would be a couple months, and he was going to have Moscow. He was going to have the fullness of the Soviet Empire and he was going to put them under his thumb. Now, on this same slide, I have 
a statement that says the devious stab in the back, which is somewhat of a play on a historical uh, understanding. He is going to stab Soviet Russia in the back. And he is going to do that in response to what he felt was a stab in Germany's back. And that's actually what it's called. It's called the stab in the back uh, theory uh, that was propagated since World War I. And so this is Hitler's revenge, Operation Redbeard. So quick review, we're going to go back to Monday's uh, message, which was a word that I introduced you guys to, which was Lebensraum, which translates means living space. And it comes from an idea of evolution applied to nations, where a nation is like an organism, and it is always needing to grow. If, it's, if a nation is strong, it's going to grow, and it's going to need to expand its borders. It needs to expand its Lebensraum, or its living space. And so Germany was growing, and it was strong, and it was smart, and it was capable, and it was fit. And it needs to take over the less, less fit countries. So this is part of what is happening. Hitler is going to look at the Slavic empires and he is going to say, hey, they're unfit. He's going to look at all Jews and he's going to say, they're unfit. And so he is going to start to destroy Jews and he's going to start to take Slavic empires. And so Lebensraum is a key aspect of this. But there's another one and that's the stab in the back theory. Hitler is convinced, as were many other Germans, <coughs> that the reason the Germans lost World War I was because of the Jews and because of the Bolsheviks. He believes that they betrayed Germany into the hands of the Allies. That it wasn't actually the Germans that wanted it. It, were, it was these cowards. It was these snakes that did this. And so Hitler has been brooding. He has been brooding and desiring revenge for, what, 20 years now. And so he is about to bring about his revenge. He was stabbed in the back. His people were stabbed in the back. And now he's going to stab in the back. So June 22nd, 1941, the day Hitler brings vengeance. And this is going to be a shock to Soviet Russia. Now, just because this is what I'm actually going to teach on today, the whole concept of Operation Redbeard is it should not have been a surprise. Uh, Stalin, don't you realize who you're dealing with here? You're dealing with a liar. Everything he has ever said, he has lied about. He is a schemer. He is a conspirator. And yet, Stalin, who is also an evil man who was a conspirer and a schemer, trusted Hitler. Out of all the people, he didn't trust anyone else in the world, but he trusted Hitler? Of all people, what, a, what an odd thing that is, and yet it's history. So June 22nd is our big day. So there's going to basically be two wars uh, on this uh, main continent of, uh, if we're going to say Europe, these European wars, even though we're going to crest into Asia in the Russian campaigns. The war in the West, which would be called the Western Front, if you've ever heard that term, it is going to be the, the war against Great Britain and the Germans uh, against Great Britain and, and the other allies. The U.S. will come into that war. That's like Omaha Beach uh, is going to be in the Western uh, side of things. And so that's the, that's the war side that we're most familiar with, other than maybe the, the, the war in the Pacific, Asian Pacific. So the war in the West against Great Britain and the U.S., is what we're going to call a gentleman's war governed by the agreements of the Hague Conventions. 
So the Hague Conventions, without belaboring something like that, are going to be in the late 1800s, very last few years of the 1800s and the early 1900s. They're going to ratify certain behaviors in war that are appropriate. Here's how you handle prisoners of war. Here's how you handle surrenders. Here's how you handle, handle this, 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 and this. And they're going to chronicle all of these to create gentlemanly behavior in war. It didn't always work, but at least it created some dimension of restraint because after a war, if you lost the war, you would be held accountable to the Hague Convention, and that's where you would have criminal uh, trials to bring war crimes against uh, different people that violated these things. The challenge is Russia, Soviet Russia, dismissed the Hague Convention and was not willing to participate in its rules. So you have Hitler looking at that and salivating, saying, we don't need to follow the Hague Convention. So the war in the East, which is going to be against Soviet Russia, which is going to lead to, I don't know what it is, it's like double to three or four times the death toll of all the rest of World War II combined. In World War II, you're going to have over 60 plus million deaths. So there's a ton of deaths. I think in Soviet Russia, I want to say like 27 million people are going to die. I mean, that's just extraordinary, especially since by 1941, no one has died. They aren't even participating in the war. They are actually siding with Germany against Great Britain at this time. So I'm going to call this war in the East a mongrel's war governed solely by the lust for land, that's Lebensraum, and a deep-seated hatred of Jews and the Bolsheviks, a war of total extermination. Hitler is going to call it an extermination war. He is going to command his generals and his men to not leave any men, women, or children alive, to actually devastate them. He, in his mind, is thinking, first of all, they're an impure race, and we need to get them out. They're a lesser creature. We need to remove them, but he also wants to create space for Germans to populate. And so in his calculations, he needs to get rid of, get this, 30 million of them. So if you're going to get rid of 30 million Russians, well, you better just start right from the beginning. Instead of expecting that they'll leave quietly, let's just exterminate them. And that's what's going to lead to one of the most horrific uh, tales in all of world history is going to be the Eastern Front of World War II. It's a war of total extermination. So June 22nd, 1941, I want to see if this rings a bell for any of you spiritually. Like a thief in the night. You see... Hitler is going to spring on Stalin. Stalin is not expecting this. And, you know, all of us could look at Stalin and go, Stalin, how come you were not awake? How come you didn't realize this? Come on, how could, could you not see this? But you know how many of us are actually caught off guard by the, the devil in our own life? And the events of our life catch us off guard too because we do not heed the warnings of whether it's the word of God or it's even our own conscience or it's those in our life that actually desire to give us counsel. So what I want to bring up and sort of lift to the surface is that we are all vulnerable to being the Stalin and the Soviet Russia in this story. I don't like just looking uh, in history and clucking our tongues and saying, what an idiot. What I want us to recognize is that the scriptures are going to tell us that it's very easy to choose the, the path of the fool and to actually desensitize to the working of the Holy Spirit when he desires to give us warning. He desires to awaken us from our slumber so that we would get into position and hold our weapons. And so as a result, it is very easy for us to pull a Stalin. 
The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 4, is going to say this. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so this day should overtake you as a thief. You, brethren, are not in darkness. So therefore, the coming of the Lord does not take us off guard. We live in the light. We don't live in darkness. So as a result, though we know it will come as a thief in the night, because there will be those who are not heeding the signs. They are not heeding the warnings. They are not heeding the key message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This COVID-19 season that we are still currently in, even though some of the states around the United States are lessening their restrictions, we still have them, and it still feels odd and strange. I've likened this to Braxton Hicks contractions. Now, if any of you uh, understand what that is, that's, that's like labor pains that aren't labor pains, okay? It's like a woman's body, when it's preparing to deliver a baby, is going to sort of warm up the system, sort of rev up the engine. And to a woman, they feel like very real pains, okay? And, and a woman is going to say, hey, I think I might be in labor. However, a seasoned veteran of uh, birth and delivery is going to say, no, those are Braxton Hicks contractions, which always make a woman feel sort of like, what are you saying? This doesn't count. And here's what I would say. They still feel like real contractions. Though real contractions are a lot more severe, they still are severe because that's all you know. And a Braxton Hicks contraction is a warm-up to prepare the body for the real contractions. This COVID-19 is a Braxton Hicks. It is a contraction. It's a real working. It's a real pain. It's a real challenge for us. But compared to real labor, this is nothing. <laughs> and I think we, at least in the United States, okay, in other parts of the world, this is something right now, okay, like India. This has been a huge crisis. It has led to starvation issues. It's, I mean, the, the uh, what is it, the swarm of locusts in uh, northern uh, Africa. Those are real pains. Those are real challenges, okay? This is not a real labor pain, but it is. It's real. It's really happening, but it's meant to awaken us and to warm us up and to stir us unto action. Wouldn't we be the greatest fools if we disregarded it? Wouldn't we be the greatest idiots if we heard the warning and God was saying, wake up church, stir yourselves unto action, grab your weapons, and we didn't. So that was the Apostle Paul, but listen to the Apostle Peter. He's going to use the exact same metaphor. In other words, you get the idea that in the early church, this phrase was actually normal, and it was passed around as a normal phrase because Peter is going to say, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Isn't that interesting? Because one of the things you recognize about the writers of the New Testament is they have their own vernacular. They have their own way of saying things. Paul has a very distinct way of describing the life in Christ. And it's different than the other writers. And yet, what you see is they both are going to use this same phrase as a thief in the night. Something that comes upon you and you are asleep. And you don't realize it's happening, but it is doing harm to you. And as a result, wake up. We are children of the light, so we are not asleep in the time of that thief. 
So June 14, remember the day that uh, Hitler is going to spring upon Stalin is June 22nd, 1941. This is June 14th of 1941, eight days prior, okay? And you're going to see the Soviet Union is going to broadcast to the entire nation a message because they feel that, oh, great, we got all this nonsense sweeping around and people are starting to whisper about Germany attacking us. This is all disinformation. Germany is on our side, guys. So I'm going to give you the, uh, the actual transcript from it. Uh, Vyacheslav, I can never pronounce this guy's name. Vyacheslav Molotov. I know how to pronounce his last name, but that's how he's typically known as just Molotov. But why I decided to put in his first name to make it hard, I don't know. But he's sort of the protege of Stalin. He's Stalin's right-hand man. And so Molotov has like unlimited power. And so Molotov is going to get on the radio and he is going to speak. He says, even before the return of the English ambassador Cripps to London, but especially since his return, there have been widespread rumors of an impending war between the USSR, that's the Soviet Union, and Germany in the English and foreign press. Despite the obvious absurdity of these rumors, responsible circles in Moscow have thought it necessary to state that they are a clumsy propaganda maneuver of the forces arrayed against the Soviet Union in Germany, which are interested in a spread and intensification of the war. This is all propaganda. This is all disinformation. This is all nonsense. Germany is not going to attack us. Isn't that an interesting thing? They literally were convinced that their arch nemesis was on their side. You see, this is the ultimate play of the enemy. Listen to what uh, Churchill says about this. Churchill says, Hitler had every right to be content with the success of his measures of deception and concealment and with his victim's state of mind. What we don't want is for the enemy to be content with ours. What we want is to be on to his game. We want to know what he's up to and we want to be ready. So Winston Churchill is going to say, we must now lay bare the error and vanity of cold-blooded cold calculation of the Soviet government and enormous communist machine and their amazing ignorance about where they stood themselves. They had shown a total indifference to the fate of the Western powers. They seemed to have no inkling that Hitler had resolved to destroy them. If their intelligence service informed them of the vast German deployment toward the east, which was pretty obvious by this time, that Germany had moved all its troops to the east, which was now increasing every day, they omitted many needful steps to meet it. Thus, they had allowed the whole of the Balkans to be overrun by Germany. They hated and despised the democracies of the west, but the four countries, Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, and Yugoslavia, which were of vital interest to them in their own safety, could all have been combined by the Soviet government in January with active British aid to form a Balkan front against Hitler. They let them all break into confusion and all but Turkey were mopped up one by one. War is mainly a catalog of blunders, but it may be doubted whether any mistake in history has equaled that of which Stalin and the communist chiefs were guilty when they cast away all possibilities in the Balkans and supinely awaited or were capable, incapable of realizing the fearful onslaught which impended upon Russia. If Russia had awakened when it was warned, it actually could have defeated Hitler with the help of Great Britain long before they actually lost 27 million lives. Instead, they are going to suffer such extreme travesty and loss because of 
their sleep. Winston Churchill says, Stalin and his commissars showed themselves at this moment the most completely outwitted bunglers of the Second World War. So April 3rd, 1941. Remember, January, it's June 22nd that Hitler is going to attack, Operation Barbarossa. April 3rd, 1941, Winston Churchill becomes convinced that Germany is attacking. He has the necessary information. He, I mean, the spy network for Great Britain is the best in the world. They are now convinced that Hitler is going to invade Russia. And he actually doesn't want Russia to be caught off guard because he does not want Hitler to take over Russia and have all of its resources and all of its soldiers. That's the last thing Winston Churchill wants. So even though he doesn't like communism, he doesn't want Stalin to be invaded and to lose. So he warns Stalin. He sends a personal telegram to be delivered by Cripps, who is the ambassador to Russia. He has direct access to uh, Stalin, and he sends it on April 3rd, 1941. Stalin doesn't even respond. Doesn't even look at it as, as far as we know until the end of April. In other words, it's like a total disregard. This is literally the Prime Minister of Great Britain is giving a personal telegram of warning to him and he doesn't heed it at all. So per Churchill personally telegrammed Stalin to warn him that the German army was preparing to attack him, April 3rd. It's interesting, when you read the scriptures, we have warnings. We have statements that would actually speak to our soul right now, our families right now, our churches right now, our communities right now, the souls of others around us right now. We actually have the warning. We have the Prime Minister of Great Britain sending us a personal telegram and saying, wake up, stir yourself into action, grab your weapons and stand. And yet, like Stalin, we do nothing. Oh, nothing's gonna happen in my lifetime. That won't happen now as opposed to being ready and being warned. You see, there's a reason why the Spirit of God desires to stir us with a Braxton Hicks contraction, to alert us to the fact that, oh, my body needs to be ready. Well, his body needs to be ready. The foolishness of unreadiness. So one of the famous stories for this, Matthew 25, is going to talk about ten virgins. And listen to what it says. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Now, what do we know about the foolish ones? They didn't prepare. In other words, they knew the bridegroom was coming. They had forewarning of the bridegroom coming. They were given a lamp and they were given access to oil. But they didn't put the oil in the lamp. They didn't do what was required to prepare. And so as a result, they are deemed foolish. Stalin is deemed foolish in this story. I mean, he looks like a bungling idiot in this story. I mean, how could he have fallen for that? You actually trusted Hitler, Stalin? Uh, yeah, well, Great Britain did a few years earlier. I mean, that was the whole, uh, I mean, that was the whole stories that we led to through the 1930s is Great Britain was a fool as well. All of us have been the fool at times. It's critical that we awaken and are stirred and begin to trust that the word of God is the truth, the word of the society around us, the word of the politicians. That's not where we put our trust. We put our trust in the word of God. So John the Baptist is going to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wake up, stir, grab your arms, stand and alert. Jesus 
is going to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that interesting? It's the exact same quote. And, and look at this. Jesus is going to then tell his disciples to go and say these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, John is going to start this out by saying, guys, we need to wake up. Jesus is going to say, wake up. And then he's going to say, go, tell them to wake up. So where do we fall in this? I think we need to hear the message of John the Baptist, Jesus, and the disciples, and then we need to carry it. Hey, world, wake up. We need to send the telegram out to Stalin and say, hey, buddy, I, I know that you've always trusted Hitler, but Hitler's a liar. <laughs> you need to stand at arms. Because, Hitler, uh, because Stalin does nothing, Hitler is going to invade with his Luftwaffe, which is his air force, and he is going to destroy almost all of Stalin's air force before they even know that anything's happening. And that literally gives Hitler air supremacy to protect his troops and to bomb at will all of Russia, wherever he wants, and Stalin has no defense. I mean, that's a bad situation. So Jesus Christ is going to say in Matthew 25, 13, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. You see, there is something that will spring on this world, and it is going to be a day of judgment. You see, we as the church, judgment begins in the house of God. There are seasons ahead that we are forewarned about that we need to be prepared for. And COVID-19 is a wonderful exercise equipment for us. It's like if we were to take this situation and recognize there's really nothing to fear when we walk in the truth, and no weapon fashioned against us can actually prosper. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. If God be for us, who can actually stand against us? If we begin to reason as a Christian in and through COVID-19, then we are built strong to reason as a Christian in greater times of difficulty. We are the front line of Jehovah God. And we are designed by God to stand firm when the rest of the world is crumbling. We have a telegram to give. We have a message to give to this world to wake up. However, we better read the telegram from the Holy Spirit ourselves. We need to first wake up so that we can wake up others. So, let's do that. Father, wake us up. Holy Spirit, do what you must do in our midst. May we not be caught off guard. May we be children of the light. And Lord, may you teach us what to do in this hour. Thank you for these Braxton Hicks contractions. Lord, press your agenda forward in and through us, your church. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m. and weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.